who are you? That's a question that I would love to know the answer to. I would love to know who it is that's listening to this sermon right now. Moreover, I'd love to be able to find out and listen in on all of the ways that you would choose to describe or answer that question for yourself. If you want to email or text me, feel free to. I would love to hear from you. But if you don't get a chance to, uh, please give some time to think through that question for yourself. How would you answer it? Maybe it depends on who you're talking to. It depends on whether or not you're answering that question for the first time to a group of people you've never met. Maybe you stick to the surface and you say your name or where you've come from or who's in your family or the things that you like to do or maybe the things that you think you might have as a connection point with the person or the people that you're meeting. Maybe you think about that question when you're preparing for an interview and you're trying to figure out how would be the best way to describe your background and experiences and your skills and the things that drive you and motivate you, that would also be a perfect match for the position. Maybe you think about that question and how it's changed over the course of your life. How it's changed as every relationship in your life has um, maybe um, increased in some ways, when you've become something new, when um, there's a new role that has been added to who you are, um, uh, whether or not you think about how your experiences, how your past has shaped you. Sometimes it takes time in looking back to, to be able to see those things and how they've shaped you in different ways, to, to make meaning out of them in a way that you couldn't do so in the moment or shortly after it had passed. Who are you? Maybe you also hopefully answer that question in a way of how what you believe and what you have lived and experienced and what you have come to know about this Jesus also shapes how you live and how, how you seek to be who you are and how you, how you seek to live in our world. For right now, we should talk a little bit about when Jesus first asked this question of the disciples. They were gathered in this area called Caesarea Philippi, which is significant in that it was a, a largely Roman area where signs of Roman power were everywhere. And, um, and the, the Romans at that time didn't just uh, use titles such as governor or ruler to describe their power, but they also used son of God as well. And, and Jesus here asks this question. 
And there's so many different things that are floating around about who Jesus is as, as people speculate and as people see all the things that he's been doing, healing people, teaching uh, these amazing things in such a way that uh, always leaves people wanting more. The stories that he's been telling that, that may pe- make people think so deeply, and, and yet they can't quite explain it all either. And so it's, it's easy to, to wonder, who is he? Has he come from God? Is he one of the prophets? Is he just a person on his own trying to, to seek his own power and status and fame? Is he the one? And in all of the many things that the disciples could have said, it's Simon Peter, of all people, who doesn't always get it right, but in that moment just blurts out, you are the Messiah. This this Hebrew word that means anointed one, the one that people have longed for, this one who God would send to save God's people. He blurts that out and says, you are the son of the living God. And in this great moment, Jesus affirms him and blesses him. And then says this unique line as he refers to him as the son of Jonah. Now, you don't always hear that. Sometimes you hear the, the term son of Adam, which is kind of to, to describe someone's humanness or the, son of e- or the daughter of Eve. And for sure you hear Jesus described as son of God, but also as, as son of man. And sometimes when Jesus is described as the son of man, it, it kind of has that, that connotation of what is to come for Jesus, of what he will have to endure on the cross as a result of human hands. But son of Jonah, that means we have to go back to the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. It's a really great story. It's not that long. you got to look it up in the Old Testament. But it goes like this. The, the prophet Jonah was um, eventually sent to proclaim uh, and to, to get the people of Nineveh to repent, to to turn to God. And Nineveh, by the way, was the capital of Assyria, which was the the power, um, the enemy of Israel. They had taken over, and and Jonah does not want to have anything to do with it. And who knows why? He might have been terrified. He might have been um, worried that something would have happened to him. He might have thought that there was no way he had enough courage or strength to do it. Maybe he didn't want to do it. Maybe he just wanted to go his own way, live his own life, and not be the messenger of God. Who knows? But he tried. He tried to run away. He tried to flee, actually, by boat. And yet, what happened? The wind and the water and the waves overcame that boat and knocked Jonah out of the boat. And where? Not just into the depths of the water, but, as the story goes, into the mouth, into the belly of a large fish, where he wasn't consumed, but for three days and three nights... He remained 
in the belly of that large fish. And so, finally, Jonah came to his senses, and he recognized maybe what God was speaking to him, what God needed him to do. And came back toward God, and he repented himself, and he prayed to God, and, and finally allowed God to lead him to where he needed him to go. And just like that, out of the mouth of that large fish, Jonah is spit up onto dry land and is able to go in the direction of Nineveh. And he does just what God had told him to do. And the king of Nineveh actually listens. And he repents and he comes to, um, he comes to believe in God. And the people along with him also are changed. It's this amazing story of how they are all saved and, um, and protected all because of what Jonah finally did. Not necessarily on his own doing. And so you have to wonder if that reference to son of Jonah isn't that part of all of us that as humans, it might be our tendency to want to run at um, the first sign of something getting hard at the first sign where we might be a little worried about what people will say of us or think of us uh, based on what we believe or confess, uh, where we might be kind of worried whether or not we have what it takes to do what God asks of us. And yet, in this moment, Peter's able to release what God has already put in his heart inside of him. And it is what he believes. And not only that Jesus is this, this one who God has sent to save us in as many ways as, as God defines what salvation is, both individually and across our, our humanity, but also he makes this declaration and confession that God is a living God. God is not some entity of the past and where all of his actions and the stories of the Spirit are long ago and among people who are now no longer with us. But God is a living and active, present God who is continually at work here within us and within this world. And as Jesus says, in this church, in the church that Jesus builds upon this rock. Now, what does rock mean there? Is it Peter? Is it that place? Is it some symbolic place, this moment in time? Who knows exactly? Maybe the church is built upon you and me and all of us who believe, who have as our identity followers of Jesus. 
maybe sons and daughters of Jonah too, who don't always follow as best as we could. Sometimes get scared and try to go our own way, and yet are still kind of gathered close together and, and received by God this little reminder that we are who God has created us to be and that each of us are very gift, different in our skills and gifts and yet all of those are needed to be able to continue to be and live out what it means to be the church even as we keep on trying to figure out what that is and what that looks like. And I don't quite have all the answers myself. I still struggle in so many ways. Because in our humanness, we try to order and organize, and we try to, to make everything um, the same and have it fit all into nice, neat pages and columns of this is our doctrine, this is what we do, this is our practice, this is how we live it out. And, and yet, we keep on being surprised about the ways in which God blows through that. Even in this passage, Jesus has to reckon, has to to come into this world in such a way that it's clear that he and his authority is built upon the tradition, the, the faith of God's relationship with the people of Israel. That it's not something new, it's not something foreign, it's not something that is outside of God. And yet sometimes as we look at Jesus and 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 try to, to follow what he's leading, it can be easy for us to think that God has now separated God's self from the past. And yet, that's a part of who Jesus is too. It's a part of his identity. And so what I think God always challenges us into thinking is, is to not be so closed, but to leave room for this this largeness of God, this expansiveness of God in a way that we can't even fully understand because we only know what we know and we only know what we can understand, including about our, ourselves as well. And so that's the part where we have to keep on asking that question. We have to keep on thinking about who we are, how would we describe ourselves, what's important to us, what matters to us, and then how do we live that out? And when we, when we also include what we have come to learn and experience of Jesus, then we also understand who we are as a part of it. We are loved. We are called. And it is on us that Christ continues to do a new thing, to build his church, to build the possibility that good news can be shared and proclaimed. May it be so.
Amen.